I love to tell the story of unseen things above, of Jesus and his glory, of Jesus and his love. I love to tell the story. Welcome to our study on the fourfold gospel. There's a link in the show notes to the lesson book that we're working through together. Basically, this study looks at all four gospel accounts together, and there are some questions we work through to guide us in our study. Thanks for joining us. Last time, of course, there on page 11, we did our little quiz about some of the things around the birth of Christ, but then we got into the situation with Jesus visiting Jerusalem around the age 12 and leaving him there and coming and finding him involved in the teaching there in the temple. And then here on page 12 is where we're drawing our attention today. It says there at the top, Lesson 3, the early ministry of John the Baptist and Jesus' baptism and temptation. So those are the things that are covered here. Of course, this first section is specifically about the ministry of John the Baptist. So I think we'll start by uh, looking at Luke chapter 3. Of course, we'll start with the prayer, but I I think, um, uh, of course, I expect everyone to be reading all of these accounts to get the full picture, and that'll help us answer the questions. But I think just to get our bearings in class, uh, since they are so parallel, we'll read Luke's account. I think to answer the questions, I did have to draw a little bit from from Matthew as well. Um, You know, Mark Mark tends to be shorter and kind of the basis of... all the things written in Mark seem to be included in uh, Matthew and Luke. So if we only read Mark, we'd just get a really short short version of our study this morning. So we'll see how that goes. Let's start with a word of prayer. Dear God in heaven, we're thankful for we're thankful for everything that you bless us with. We're thankful that we can be here today. We're thankful for the salvation you provide to us. We're thankful for uh, the Gospels that we can read and understand the life of Jesus and, and what you expect of us. Help us to honor you. Help us to help each other to honor you. Be with us in this study that we would learn these things and, and understand them the way you intend and that we would be a glory to you. Be with any who are uh, sick or struggling uh, that maybe that aren't with us or those that are traveling. Pray that, that Keep them in your care. Keep them safe. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so we're on page 12 in our books. Everyone has a book, I hope. Got some extras. Um, in our Bibles, Luke chapter 3. Let's just read that what it shows there is the reading. Luke 3, 1 through 20. Luke chapter 3, verse 1. In the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate being governor of Judea, And Herod, being tetrarch of Galilee, and his brother Philip, tetrarch of the region of Iturea and Trachonitis and Lysanias, tetrarch of Abilene, during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, the son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. And he went into all the region around the Jordan, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah, the prophet, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, 
make his path straight. Every valley shall be filled, and every mountain and hill shall be made low. And the crooked shall become straight, and the rough places shall become level ways. And all flesh shall see the salvation of God. He said, therefore, to the crowds that came out to be baptized by him, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruits in keeping with repentance. And do not begin to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now the axe is laid at the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. And the crowds asked him, What then shall we do? And he answered them, Whoever has two tunics is to share with him who has none, and whoever has food is to do likewise. Tax collectors also came to be baptized and said to him, Teacher, what shall we do? And he said to them, Collect no more than you are authorized to do. Soldiers also asked him, And what shall we do? And he said to them, Do not extort money from anyone by threats or by false accusations, and be content with your wages. And the people were in expectation, and all were questioning in their hearts concerning John whether he might be the Christ. John answered them all, saying, I baptize you with water, but he who is mightier than I is coming, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. So with many other exhortations, he preached good news to the people. But Herod the Tetrarch, who had been reproved by him for Herodias, his brother's wife, and for all the evil things that Herod had done, added this to them all, that he locked up John in prison. Now when all the people were baptized, and when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, the heavens were opened. And the Holy Spirit descended on him in a bodily form, like a dove, and a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son, with you I am well pleased. And I guess I read two extra verses there, didn't I? Nevertheless, this is our context here this morning. We have the, the work of John the Baptist here. Questions ask us here. Briefly describe John the Baptist as to his dress, diet, and lifestyle. What, how would you, if you were to tell someone on the street, well, who's this John the Baptist guy? What was he like? A little differently? What was he wearing? Leather belt, camel hair and leather belt. Ate locusts and wild honey. That seems kind of weird. Been to honey, I guess. But <laughs> When I looked at that, I thought to myself, but how much nourishment did he get out of locusts? Well, how many locusts do you have? Maybe yeah. maybe there's plenty of locusts. Maybe it's fine. I don't know. <laughs> it must be a lot larger than what I uh, think of today. Yeah, but if you have 150 of them, maybe it's... <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it doesn't appeal to me. And, uh. <laughs> they ate them in Vietnam. Yeah. 
Well, when you're in dire straits, you'll eat what you have, right? I think the sense seems to be that he was in the wilderness. I mean, it says that. Yeah, that he was trusting in God. You know, we see him later contrasted with, you know, kings and the, all the fine things that they had. You know, no, he was living, kind of the mountain man, right, we might say, living, on, living off the land, trusting in God, you know, the, the land being God's provision for, these, for, for everybody. So, and then it mentions the wilderness, in, at least in Matthew um, 3, 1, that he's in the wilderness preaching. So that's some of what he's doing, his lifestyle. He's out there in the wilderness preaching. Um, I guess that leads into the second question there. What was the basic message of John's preaching? Here in our, our Luke context, we could look at verse 3. Yeah. Repent, baptism of repentance. And then it also says, for the forgiveness of sins. That sounds familiar, right? We could also draw, I think, from the, the verses after that, where uh, quoting from Isaiah there seems to be his message is he's preparing the way for the Lord, for the Christ, for the Messiah to come, for Jesus to come, namely, we would say. He's not calling out Jesus' name here at this point, but we know that's how this develops. Right. He was foretold to be one to prepare the way, and here we see John fulfilling that. Later on here in our chapter, verse 8, and after there we see, you know, again, more about his message of repentance. Verse 8, bear fruits in keeping with repentance, you know, get your life right, do the right thing. Um, and then down here in verses uh, 11 and uh, 13 and, and 14, we see those advice that he's giving to the crowds, you know, sharing, being, being charitable and sharing, um, being honest, the tax collectors, you know. The, the tax collectors were looked down on because, not because they were, not just because they were the hand of the government, you know, taking their taxes, but they were understood to, you know, they, the way they made money in that was they took more than they were supposed to, and that's how they got to be rich, and so that was a dishonest thing. And so, of course, that's why they're, they're told, collect no more than you are authorized to do. Don't, don't do that. Don't go and, well, since I'm taking money, I'm going to take more and enrich myself. And then same with the soldiers, to do not extort money, you know. Uh, apparently, with the power that a soldier would have, they would perhaps uh, use that to their advantage and, and take things. Even in America, right, the, 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 um, we have it in our Constitution to not quarter soldiers <laughs> because of the abuse that we saw uh, before the Revolution where, you know, soldiers could just come and you were legally obligated to, to give them room and board. And it's like, well, that's ridiculous. <laughs> this is my house. So we, we, we have that as a protection in our Constitution. So, you know, that was probably a common thing even in ancient times for soldiers to just, hey, I'm the soldier, so I'm going to do what I want to do. Not so. God doesn't want us to be like that. Don't extort money. Okay? Yes? I just thought it was interesting in verse 7. And then he said to the multitudes who came out to be baptized by him, 
rude of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? I'm just wondering, you're like, did they just go? Some of them go just because they wanted to find out what was going on. You know, they were just like, you know, we're just here to find out what's going on. We're not really here to, to do anything, but we're curious, so much curious about, you know, about the baptism is just, who is this guy? When we see this portrayed in Matthew's account, Matthew 3, Matthew 3, 7, it says, But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers. So, you know, if you harmonize these, which we're trying to do in this study, that seems to be that here, even in Luke, we might want to understand that as, uh, that may be a specific message or accusation he's leveling to the religious leaders who were seen as corrupt. Whereas it seems like the, um, the bulk of the people were more accepting, you know, especially as we look through the whole story of the whole, all the Gospels here. There's a tendency for the regular people to be very accepting. They're going out and being baptized, but then the, we see these leaders coming out and being very critical and questioning and, you know, trying to justify themselves and that kind of thing. And so that's, that's how... Looking at both of those, that's how I kind of read Luke uh, 3, 8, 7 as well. Does that help? You know, I just thought it was interesting. It's like, you know, I just figured, I figured, you know, it was the, the top elite coming out there, and they're just, just basically coming to see what he's doing and if it goes against the Jewish religion and, you know, like, and then, you know, might have been just maybe they're just a little interested in why are all these people coming together to listen to this person. And when he says, you brood of vipers, I mean, I think there's this sort of synonymous thing with vipers, snake, the devil, you know. He's calling them, you children of the devil, I think is kind of the idea in that. That's pretty, it's, it's not just uh, you're like an animal or something. He's He's... It's kind of a theological point there that you're you're of the devil. Why do you think that you know? I mean, that's what I think. What he's saying is, what? Why are you here? You know, like this isn't going to make any difference to you for your thinking. And yeah. So, what's really behind the fact that you're here? And it's kind of puzzling because you know, okay, they're 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 in a bad place with their attitudes, but. They should repent too, right? I mean. Yeah, but I think he already knows to, to, to call him that. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, he knows their heart. He's, he's inspired by the Holy Spirit. From the wrath to come, you know. Yeah. You know, you're already sad in your ways, and why are you even here? Yeah. Don? Well, you know, the, the people looked up to the, to the uh, Pharisees and Sadducees as those who who knew and understood the law. And so they were they were the, the leaders in, in the religious uh, religious aspect. Now here comes John and he's saying, here's something you need to do. And he's telling the people that they need to be baptized and so forth, repent. And so the, the, the religious leaders at that time, they're coming out there and they're saying, okay, here's a man that's talking about these things and the people are just following after him. We better do the same thing. And, and so, so they're, they're, John understands why they're coming. 
And, and so, so he, that, that, that brood of vipers is a pretty hard statement to them, but uh, they were corrupt. Yeah, they, they, since he could read their heart, he, he knew they weren't coming out to, in fact, repent because they felt, they realized how they were wrong and they were coming to be baptized. They were probably coming to, to give him a hard time and criticize him and question him and this sort of thing. Well, they didn't, they didn't want to lose, lose their following. Yeah. Yeah. They're losing their popularity to John there. Can you imagine that multitude there and then for him saying that, seeing maybe the, them coming into the crowd and then for him to actually say that well, he's a wild man, right? <laughs> he's got the weird belt and the camel thing, and you know, so he doesn't really care what people think. He's just he just lays it out there. That's the impression I get with with that. I think that sort of fits in with this mountain man thing uh, motif that he's dressed that way, and he's he's different, and he's bringing a fresh message that isn't what people are getting from the folks in Jerusalem that are, you know, these people, the, the scribes and Pharisees. Question three, what baptism did John preach and in what region of Palestine was he baptizing? So in, in Luke here, verse three, we, we just read that, right? Yeah, the region around the Jordan proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Now, now certainly we'll see later uh, where after the church is established and uh, some who still had only been baptized into John's baptism and didn't even know anything about the Holy Spirit, you know, the, the, the full Christianity idea, uh, they, they were baptized again in, into Christ. Uh, so we see this is different, but it's very similar. And, and it's also, you know, so, sometimes we think maybe, um, maybe because our religious neighbors don't even baptize in immersion, that there's some sort of innovative thing. But in fact, the Jews did a lot of these ritual cleansings that involved immersion in water. I mean, they even had what you know, we would call a baptistry. They have this thing that they would call a mikvah, and, and that was a common aspect. Even in Judaism today, uh, people that like Orthodox Jews that would try to keep the, the laws, they'll have like a swimming pool kind of thing, and they call it a mikvah, and they'll use that for various aspects that relate to, to cleansing. So this was not a completely out of left field thing for John to be, you know, immersing people in, in water and having that represent some sort of cleansing. This was uh, st still pointing to, of course, the, the, the fulfillment in Christ and what we understand it to be today. So as far as the location, you know, it talks about the wilderness, but along the Jordan River, so I don't have a map up, but I mean, we think about up north the Sea of Galilee, and that's where, you know, Nazareth and all that's up there, and then the Jordan River goes down, and then the big Dead Sea down there. So that that whole area where the, the Jordan River connects those two large bodies of water would be, I think, what we're to understand. So just in that whole area. Because why would he be around the Jordan River? Why would he need that? What? Yeah, water, because he's baptizing. So, of course, uh, he can't just be out in random hills where it's dry to do the baptism. He would need a source of water. So that's all consistent. It makes sense that he would be in the region around the Jordan because there's water. All right, question four. How did the Jews react to John's preaching and, baptize, and baptizing? And I think this is uh, where you kind of already went, Cheryl. Chapter 3, verse 8. 
bear fruits in keeping with repentance, and do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father, for I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. So it seems to be that uh, at least the Jewish leaders, if we look at Matthew, how it seems to portray that, that uh, there was an arrogance, like, we're, we're, you know, we don't need all this. We don't need to come out here and repent because we're the chosen people of God. We're, you know, we're Abraham's children. And he's making the point that God can choose whoever wants to be his children, but you need to get your life right kind of thing. Question six, what was John referring to when he said, quote, and even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees there in Luke chapter three, verse nine, or Matthew three, ten. What does that mean? We're cutting down trees here. He's by the river, right? There'd be some trees. But what are we talking about? Judgment. Yeah. Come to the house of Israel. He goes on to say, Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. And so, again, we're not talking about, you know, apple trees here. We're talking about uh, the people. Are you bearing fruit for God? You know, we could turn that around to ourselves. Are we bearing fruit for God? And there's the judgment that comes to this. And that's what John was uh, coming to proclaim. Hey, there's a reckoning coming. Christ is coming. Get your lives right. Get ready. Get ready for this. And, and certainly we are looking forward to the second coming of Christ. John's talking about the first coming of Christ, which is all wrapped up with, with everything Jesus is doing. So this message is good for us today as well. John? Does the axe is laid. The axe is laid to the roots of the trees. Uh, throughout the uh, Jewish history then we see that the, the Jewish system is about to come to an end. Uh, it's already started. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we might think about that imagery, right? Like, okay, I'm cutting down a tree, and I got the axe, and I'm, it's right down there. I'm just ready. The next thing I want to do is pull back and, you know, I'm going to cut it down. I think that's the idea, that, that this is just about to happen. And, and we might think about, uh, obviously, the establishment of the church and Jesus fulfilling the old law and, and even the destruction of the temple being maybe part of that as a physical manifestation of God's judgment as, as part of what's under consideration. But I think it's also looking to uh, the end of the world as well, that we would be faithful. And, of course, he's going to come and, and judge the world. Other thoughts? There seems to be a grinding nature throughout the history of the Jewish people. Um, as John, by, by saying this, he's just going through a motion that you can go back to, to Jeremiah speaking of what was to happen to the Jewish people because of their immorality and the struggles that, that they have. This has all come to before, but the finality of what's about to happen now, this, this uh, <clears throat> culmination of the law being fulfilled, everything that, everything that has been taught, everything that has been learned is to come to this point in history, and they still miss it. This is everything that they were taught to, to be ready for. And they struggle through it. Again, just like they struggle through any other time that they were supposed to do what the Lord told them. You can just see it through history. And even now, 
when it's the most important, the fulfillment of the law, and the coming of the Christ, they still miss it. Yeah, that's a good way to describe it, the rhyming, right? That, that uh, the cycles of, of uh, the people of Israel falling away and being brought back and being judged and then, you know, God restoring them. We see that uh, throughout history. You know, we see it coming here. We, we, maybe we see it in our own lives from time to time. So, yeah. This particular thing, with that quote saying that the act, that, that, that's talking about Yeah, the, the story's coming to an end, right? Yeah. yeah. We certainly, in Revelation, we see it's, it's all going to be over. Assuming that the Jewish people just, because there's that idea that there was always a remnant in the past, <clears throat> that that was... That's always going to be the case. Mm -hmm. John there speaks to the finality of what's to come for all. And I just think that it might have fallen on like the, the ears and the minds of the Jewish people were just so clouded at that time. Perverted by the Roman Empire and everything that's going on. Worldly issues. Yeah. It says, and they wondered whether he was the Christ or not. So apparently, people had an some people had an idea that that this would have been the time period that Christ <coughs> would be there with them if they're trying to figure out if he was or not. But then what gets me is that when they that Christ is actually there with them, and then they're like, you know, some of them. Yeah, to Jared's point, um, you know, the people are in the land. They're not out in Babylon like they had been in the past, but, but yet they were ruled by Rome, and so they were, you know, considered slaves, and so they want to be freed from this. So is there sort of a sense that even politically and physically they were in a bondage, and so um, I think from that alone, they would be thinking, we, we, need, we need rescue from this. And that's why so many times through the Gospels, we see even the close disciples, is now the time you're coming to restore the kingdom? And when they say that, they mean, are you going to you know, kick out Herod and the Romans and be a king and, and do a, a military takeover of this land? That, and that's not what Jesus came to do, but uh, that's what people were expecting. So they were expecting something, but they weren't really expecting all the spiritual sense that you know, Jesus did what he did. All right, so Cheryl's comment sort of leading into question seven. How did John compare himself to the Christ? And that's those verses that you just referred to, verse 15 on. He was very humble. About he, he knew where his place was. And he knew that, you know, wasn't the Christ. He knew when he said he wasn't even worthy to, you know, like unlatch or carry his sandals. You know, it's like, I'm just a humble servant here and I'm bringing you this message that there's one coming after me that is the one that's great that you need to listen to. I did a little reading about this uh, sandal strap thing. Um, apparently, when when a when a Jew was in a position of servant to another fellow Jew, that uh, there was a certain 
um, standards that, that they were to employ there, that, that there were certain things that were too demeaning for, for that Jewish servant to do. And so one of those things apparently was this uh, handling the, the sandal straps and, and washing the feet and that kind of thing. And so what he's saying is, you know, if I was a servant to Jesus, I wouldn't, I wouldn't even be obligated to do that. But I'm not even, I'm lowlier than that as compared to Jesus. I'm not even worthy to be that low to do that. Um, which, you know, sort of speaks to when we think about the Last Supper and the, and the foot washing that goes on there that Jesus does and how Peter's so offended at that, that uh, that was, it wasn't just that, it wasn't just that Jesus is the master, not the servant there, but rather that even if Jesus was the servant, that was not appropriate for him to have done as a fellow Jew in that situation. So he's very much emphasizing his humility here and, and his subordination to Jesus the Christ here. John was faithful, and certainly Jesus was faithful. Here our last question. What did John say the Christ would do when he came, and how and when? Would that be done? I think we're looking at Luke 3, 16 and 17 here. At the end of verse 16, where we just read, uh, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire, right? And then he also kind of talks about his winnowing fork. I think that's the idea of that judgment again. Uh, but what about this baptizing you with Holy Spirit and fire? Second part of the question asks, how and when would that be done? Well, in, in the first place, when he makes that statement, not everybody that he was talking to uh, would be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Not everyone that he talked to there was going to be baptized with fire. So there's a there's a understanding that he's not saying all of you mm -hmm. when he comes are going to do this to you. Yeah. I think we need to get that out. Yeah, well, in this progressive revelation, John's saying general things that later become clarified, right? So where does that become clarified? What does it really mean, Don? <laughs> right now, <laughs> I think he's talking about uh, when, the, uh, when the Holy Spirit came, came upon the apostles on, on the day of Pentecost. Yeah, I agree. Acts chapter 2, uh, verse about the beginning there, uh, verse 2, verse 2, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting, and divided tongues as a fire appeared uh, to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. That seems to be, I mean, it's got the fire, it's got the Spirit, you know, it's a, it, it's a sign of the coming of the kingdom and all of that, right? Um, the second part of that, if you look at Luke 3, uh, the winnowing fork in his hand and the you know, burning with chaff and quenchable fire, I think that's a reference to the last day, you know, uh, judgment day. Okay, so that ends kind of that section, so let's just go ahead and mark our books there and plan to get into question 9 next time, Lord willing. Thank you. I love to tell the story, twill be my theme in glory, to tell the old, old story, 
of Jesus and his love.